welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan podcast that overanalyzes the 1984 horror comedy classic Ghostbusters Minute by Minute. I am Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we are going to be talking about the first actual minute of Ghostbusters. Now we're not talking about the first... 60 seconds of Ghostbusters. We're talking about second 61 through... <laughs> right. We, we want to make a point to keep this as confusing as possible. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, if you are starting on this episode, go back to the first one we're introduced with Columbia. Now we're uh, starting off at minute number one. What we're going to do is recap the first minute of Ghostbusters, and then we're going to go into an in-depth discussion of minute number one of Ghostbusters. And I have to say off the top of the bat... Not a lot happens in this first Not minute. a lot happens, but there's some cool setup. There's some very cool setup. It, it is a tone piece yeah. in the overall film of Ghostbusters. And I, uh, it's some very cool stuff happens in it. So I'm hoping this is not going to be one of our shorter episodes, <laughs> but it may turn into that. That's so true. we apologize. It's going to be just as long as the 45 seconds I did. Stuff that <laughs> or the one tracking it. shot. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to recap real quick the first minute of Ghostbusters. At, at the minute marker... We start a 41-second shot of Alice the Librarian walking through a library basement. Wow. Yeah. At minute 20, we see some books. Floating. Second 20. Excuse me. No, minute... Minute 20. Yep. Second 20. Minute 1, second 20. You're right. All right. I apologize. Minute 1, second 20. We see some books floating from one shelf to another. At 1 minute 34 seconds, Alice picks up a notepad and makes some notes. She hasn't noticed anything spooky going on. 1 minute 48 seconds... Library card drawers open up and cards begin to fly everywhere, unbeknownst to Alice. Minute 1, second 54. 1 minute 54 seconds, excuse me. This terminology is going <laughs> yeah, to take a long time to get. 1 minute 54 seconds and we have a reverse shot of Alice. Noticing the sound of the cards flying everywhere behind her, she turns around at 1 minute 57 seconds. Alice turns and is startled by the cards flying everywhere. She begins to run off and there ends minute number 1 of Ghost. I tell you what, you say that there's not a lot going on in this minute, but there is... A lot going on in this minute. There's if, a if lot you of will. subtext yeah. going on. Yeah. In in sort of recapping what happened prior to this minute, uh, I think the real important thing that is set up and established is this lived-in feel right. of this movie, and it's not the over-the-top science fiction craziness that uh, the original concept Dan Aykroyd came up with had. It's it's this lived-in natural world. It's what the audience is connecting to. Right. Uh, it, it's everything from the scaffolding on the outside of the building to, uh, I don't know, just the way the shot composition. Every, everything that makes it feel like something you recognize. And with that said, I guess let's go ahead and get into this one. The Haunted Mansion in Disney World. Mm -hmm. You know how it's set up? When the Haunted Mansion was created, there were two schools of thought that were going into the production of it. One of them was, we need to make this a super scary experience for people. And the other one was, this is Disneyland. We're going to make this uh, a silly thing that That's families can That's a good point. Ride. That kind of funny, scary yes. thing they have going on. We're not into the funny, scary part of Ghostbusters yet. We are still in the setup of it. When you walk towards the Haunted Mansion, be it Disney World or Disneyland, it is spooky. It is eerie. You don't see any ghosts. You... Scare yourself more than the Haunted Mansion scares you by looking at it. We're getting that kind of setup here. We don't actually see any ghosts. We're just, we're getting the little, you know, something eerie is going on. We have this beautiful 41 second tracking shot behind Alice as she's walking through. We're getting these unseen spooks moving one book from the thing to the other. We're getting these practical effects that are used to really great effect in this, in this long shot. You made a point earlier when we were talking about the long tracking shot that takes place here. It's almost as if you're the ghost. Right. Um, and it's shot with a steady cam, So it gives you that kind of feeling that you're floating along and it's following her. You sort of feel like the ghost who's stalking Alice. 
and you're right on her tail. So it's, it just adds to that sense of unease. It adds to the fact that you are psyching yourself up. You as an audience member, as a viewer, are scaring yourself already. And yeah. you don't even know it. A steady cam shot for those out there who aren't in the film business is a where a cameraman will have a camera attached to, or, excuse me, our camera woman will have a camera attached themselves to a harness system that has a counterweight on it. So you get a very smooth movement of a camera. Before, I, you know, I don't know when the steady cam was invented, but some of the best steady cam of all time was used to great effect was in The Shining. Oh, yeah, Where absolutely. you've got uh, the little kid riding on the tricycle, the Hot Wheels tricycle or whatever, it was, the big wheel down the hallway, and you've got the camera coming along behind him as if it was the Overlook Hotel following him. Uh, it's Before then, cameras were carried around by camera operators, and they were uh, shaky. You know, you've got a lot of the French New Wave films where they embrace that shakiness, and the camera was just shaky all over the place. But... After the introduction of the Steadicam, it became much more of a cinematic quality. And like like we're saying, it was a very ghostly kind of like, you know, the spook following Alice yeah, the Lion. used to very subtle and very perfect effect here. Yeah. Uh, it's And it's something, again, I never really paid attention to or noticed until I started analyzing this movie minute by minute. So the first, sec the first time we see anything actually like supernatural happen in the movie there is at one minute and 20 seconds when the books float by yeah, behind uh, Alice. Incredibly eerie. And funny, almost cute in a way, but still... Just, I don't know, something about it makes the hair in the back of your neck stand up. Yeah. And again, it's it's happening behind her. Where the camera is, again, the ghost is following her. We are following her. We are stalking Alice through the stacks. She, the, doesn't, the she doesn't notice that the books are moving behind her unseen hand. It's much scarier to see something move like that than if you actually saw this like animated ghost hand pick up a book and put yeah. it somewhere and else. such a simple effect. Yeah, uh, and I think in the Ghostbusters commentary, this is kind of a... Um, a misunderstood joke, I think, on the part of Harold Ramis. On the Ghostbusters commentary, he makes a joke that this effect cost $250,000 to do, which is not true. That He was joking around. I think some no. people have picked that up and run with it. They've, they've kind of just assumed it's coming from the master. It's got to be true. Right. It's a very yeah. simple trick. Just put some books on some wires and move them across behind the actress when she's not looking. And there's uh, practical effects here at the beginning of the movie are used so brilliantly. You've got the, the books moving along behind Alice unseen, and then you also have the cards flying out of yeah again behind her yeah again behind her yeah where she's i mean at the end of this is where she first notices it so the first right. you know, the first minute of this movie it's it's funny because it almost it ends exactly as she's notice, uh, noticing the cards we go into minute number two so uh again just cranking up the eeriness factor spooking you out nothing really too funny uh but this is yeah but still you know getting you into the giving you the idea that you're in a different movie than you're going to be in um right. and something else i want to add is that as she the fact that she's entering the basement somewhere that she's going to be alone further adds to the isolation of this poor woman and uh it really it's 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 a mean trick on the on the part of the filmmakers i mean this is going to be a mean outcome of whatever it is that's going to happen to this lady yeah, scares poor Alice out of her library and her orthopedic library shoes. <laughs> so I got a couple notes here on where this is actually being shot. So okay. this was not shot in the New York Public Library. Uh, like we said on the last episode, a lot of the scenes were actually shot in Los Angeles, of the interiors, so that they could just you know shoot the exteriors in New York and save money, go back and shoot the interiors in L.A. So this is actually, the basement scenes were shot in the New York, excuse me, it's right there. The Los Angeles Central Library. It's the third largest public library in the United States and has over 6 million books in circulation. Uh, it's got some really cool architecture on the inside that's influenced by Egyptian and Mediterranean revival architecture uh, with a lot of like Egyptian themes going on and stuff like that. The central tower is topped with a tiled mosaic pyramid 
with suns on the sides and a hand holding a torch representing, re represents the light of learning. Other elements include sphinxes, snakes, and celestial mosaics. It is the fifth largest map collection in the United States, a large portion of which came from the private collection of a man named John Feathers, who died with a collection of over one million maps. So those were given to the library after his death. On April 24th, 1986, the same day as the Chernobyl disaster, the library suffered a major fire as an act of arson. A lot of people think that somebody set some books on fire to, uh, in order to put them out. Really? And be like a hero. Yeah, I, and this was a major, major fire that happened on the same day as Chernobyl. I've never so heard any of this. Wow. 350 firefighters from over 60 companies to put out the fire. By the time the fire was put out, over 200,000 books were burnt. Anyway, so that was pretty interesting that it went through such a massive fire. But now it does have the uh, the one of the largest collections of maps uh, in the country. And Ghostbusters was shot there. And Ghostbusters <laughs> was shot there. Let's talk about the important stuff here. So let's right. talk about the library card scene there at the very end. That's also happening behind her back. Do you know how they, they did this? Yeah, it was, um, if I'm not mistaken, a fake wall and mm -hmm. that she's walking alongside uh, with the you know, card holders being pushed out and then some sort of air that was being pushed out to pop all of these cards out. It was actually blown out. So the guys had yeah. straws. I believe they were, they might have actually been metallic straws and these was, the cards were made out of very soft stock cards so as they were pushed out, you've got interns and production hands behind them like blowing into these straws to make the cards fly out everywhere. I had always thought that it was some sort of winding mechanism that was popping the cards out as it was going mm -hmm. along, but I guess they produce this rare, very cheap and very effective way yeah. to make these cards spray everywhere. It's, it's the practical effects that, you know, just always work. Yeah, always work yeah. out. So much more convincing, to me anyway, than CGI. I don't but, have a problem with CGI, but yeah. I will say there's something tangible about a practical effect. Right. And sometimes it's cheaper to do a practical effect. Right. Yeah. So uh, that is basically minute number two of, or minute number one of the movie Ghostbusters. Do you have anything else to add? No, I think it's about it. We're still doing a lot of setup here. This is not going to be a lot of plot heavy, a lot of context. Wait, you do have something to talk about. Tell me about the library ghost. Oh, yeah. As, as told to you, I tell you by what. Tobin's spirit guy. That's right. The book. Uh, second edition, I believe. Uh, well, actually, this is the first official edition. There is okay. another Tobin Spirit Guide out there in circulation, but this is the one created for Ghostbusters. So this is a book that we talked about on our pilot episode. It's just come out recently, uh, and it's it's really pretty. I like the production of it. It's got kind of like a red cover with it. Uh, the idea is that Tobin was the original Ghostbuster, right? And he chronicled all this stuff. So the cover of it has this really spooky-looking ghost with chains across its chest popping out of the logo. So the idea is that maybe it was a previous version of the no symbol logo that the Ghostbusters had. So tell That's me right. a little bit about the library guys and what Tobin Spirit gets. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll get a little bit further into it whenever we actually see her later. Uh, whenever we actually see her later on in the movie, we'll get a little bit more into it. Um, but but there's uh, a little bit of backstory, right, on what uh, uh, canonically people were hearing in the library? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, according to Tobin's spirit guide, she died in, she was the head librarian and died in 1924. She disappeared, uh, to which there was followed by sudden ghost activity. Uh, and in the area of her favorite books, as people would move through the library or the basement, they would start to hear shh coming from, as she does to Peter later on, uh, from the darkness, from the shadows. And that's just incredibly creepy to me just that idea um, but anyway so for decades this kind of activity would go on and then she reappeared later uh, as an aggressive well, I can't quite remember how Ray puts it but um, she was really just gonna scare the socks off some poor librarian <laughs> so the overall story of Ghostbusters is that there is this kind of spooky activity that's happening around the city but as the movie goes on there are reasons that things are getting amplified right 
So that's kind of the conceit of the movie is that these ghosts have always been around, but now they're getting super active because of some other paranormal uh, activity that's going on in New York that's making everything bigger. So, Yeah. So again, uh, we're going to get a little bit more into the head librarian, sure. Eleanor Twitty, I believe, um, whenever we actually see her. But yeah, some, some interesting and... Spooky stuff there. I think we'll be referencing Tom and Spirit Guy quite a bit. Oh, quite a bit, yeah. The show, so. It's a great, it's a great uh, source of information if you're looking to broaden your knowledge of the Ghostbusters universe, the Ghostbusters lore. It's um, it's a really cool book. Worth Should be available out. at your local mom and pop bookstore. I know it's definitely available at Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com. So check it out. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the first minute of Ghostbusters. We're going to be back tomorrow over analyzing minute number two, which is going to include the introduction of the Ghostbusters theme song and a introduction of an iconic character as well, and completely shifting the tone of the movie that you've been watching exactly. thus far. So some exciting stuff. Let's do it. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. As I said, we're going to be back tomorrow with minute number two. Thanks for joining. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. Remember, death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a supporter, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gbminute. You can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, instagram at ghostbustersminute, and visit our website at ghostbustersminute.com, where you can find merchandise such as t-shirts, stickers, and free balloons for the kids. Balloons subject to not being free nor real. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.